Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Chapter 7 through 10, we call the temple discourses because Jeremiah preached these at the gates of the temple to those who are going to church, people going to church and going to temple. Big Dan, would you read chapter 7, verses 1 to 4? This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim his, this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is a temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. So I think what's happening here is people were saying, you know what, as long as I go to temple, it's going to be okay. As long as I go to church, everything's going to be okay. It's mentioned three times, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Why? Well, it could be because there's three main feasts that brought people to the temple of the Lord. You know, Passover, Pentecost, and the tabernacles. It, it could be because there were actually three invasions from Babylon where they took it. They're, 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 Babylon invaded three times. But... They retained the symbol of worship, but they threw out the substance of worship. And God cares more about the substance. God wants to know, do you really, do you really worship me? Do you really submit to me? Do you really love me? For them, it was all about the ritual done in a certain place rather than a relationship with a person. They wanted to keep the ritual in the place, but they... They forgot about the relationship. It's so easy to do. God tells Jeremiah 7 verse 16. Look at 7 verse 16. This is one of the most profound verses in the Bible. God tells Jeremiah not to pray for these people anymore. Don't pray for them anymore. This is the only time in the Bible when God says to one of his servants, stop praying. Because I won't even listen to you when you pray for these people. It's like God is saying, I'm done. I'm letting them have what they want. God knew that their hearts were hard and they weren't going to repent. But I love this passage in chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Ray, would you read this? Chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. I love these. I love these verses. The people around Jeremiah were boasting in, about their minds and their money and their might. They grew in their prosperity, but they'd forgotten God. <laughs> Again, how can you not think about what's happening today? 
What about us? This didn't start recently. Look at what Abraham Lincoln wrote. He says this, we've grown in numbers, in wealth, in power, as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our own hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Whoa. Wow. That is, that's the guy who saw it for what it was, you know, a, a godly thinking leader. We have turned from God. We've forgotten God. And we think it's all about us and what we've done. And you know what? It creeps into the church too. I mean, so many times there's times when the worship songs are all about us. They're, they're all about us. And what, 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 bless us, God. What, what happened to the glory of God? Even when we plant churches, and I'm not saying this, I, I'm not saying this about our ch church specifically, but if you go to church planting school, you know what they teach you? They teach you to rely on secular marketing techniques. If you send out 20,000 postcards, you'll get, you'll get 100 people at your meeting. It's like, what? What happened to just a small group of people on their knees praying for their neighbors to come to Christ and churches starting organically, which is what Christ Community Chapel started that way. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's move on. There will there'll be a time for comments and questions. Chapters 11 through 33. Chapters 11 through 20 are filled with personal experiences of Jeremiah. And then I'm going to jump for sake of time to something that happens in chapter 20 that is just kind of profound. Chapter 20, verses 1 to 2. Now, Peshur, the priest, the son of Immer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Peshur beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. So he gets put in stocks because of his preaching. And then you jump to verse 9, you see how Jeremiah responds. And in the first part of verse 9, he says, I will not make mention of him, nor will I speak any more in his name. Here, here is Jeremiah, the prophet, quitting his mission. He's hanging up his cleats. He's walking off the field. He didn't want to be a prophet anymore. I guess you could say he wanted to join a nonprofit organization. Yes, that was a joke. But he quit. He quit. But you know what? What is so cool about it? He quit, but then it didn't last long. Because in his next breath, look at what he says in chapter 9, the second part. You go, go ahead and read, read verse 9. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. I love that. I love that. I mean, he was he wanted to quit. He wanted to hang up his cleats, but then he couldn't because God's word was in him and wouldn't let him. And I, I can tell you as a as a missionary, I've had that experience. I've been discouraged at times in ministry and I felt like quitting. What's the thing that changes? It's not taking a vacation. It's not seeing a therapist. 
what changes is God's word will come into my heart and a verse like first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 will come into my mind where it says, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And this also reminded me of like the two guys on the road to Emmaus, you know, what their response was, didn't our hearts burn when we heard him speaking? I love that. I don't know if you've had that experience with the Bible when you hear it, whether it's hearing a sermon or in your personal walk with the Lord. That's the I wish I had that every day. That, that burning, I, I want that so bad. So then jumping to chapter, chapters 29, 21 to 29, they illustrate the certainty of the captivity that's coming. In chapter 29, he sends a letter to the captives who won't even read it until years later. And he's going to tell them in this letter to prepare for a long stay, the 70 years. And just again, as a side note, I mentioned this earlier, the Babylonians besieged Jerusalem three separate times. The first time was in 605 BC, and that's when Daniel was taken, probably as a little boy. And then the second time was in 597 BC, where most of the leadership was taken captive, and at this time, as well as the no nobility. And then finally, in 586 BC, the temple on July 18th, July 18th, 586 BC, the temple was completely leveled and the people were taken away to Babylon. But then we read this passage and, and Rex, I'm going to have you read it. Chapter 29, verses 10 to 12. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Great. These words would provide great hope for those who read them, especially those who are waiting for those 70 years to pass. And then we jump to chapters 30 to 33, where we see predictions of God's future plans for Messiah and the new covenant. So Rex, would you read chapter 31, verses 31 to 33? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. I love that. God never gives up on people. He never gives up on people. And he, he promises this new covenant, this new covenant. Well, what's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant? Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you might say, between the law and Christ, what's the difference? Well, the old covenant, it's, it seems like tried to control their conduct. Don't murder. Don't, don't do these things. Where the new covenant promises to change a person's character from the inside out. 
somebody said that the difference between the old the old covenant and the new covenant is kind of like the difference between being confined to reading sheet music if you're a musician and being able to play by ear what comes from your heart because of the holy spirit working in you and we're blessed because we live in the new covenant times we have the holy spirit okay i want to close this morning by just talking about jesus and jeremiah Jump ahead to the time of Jesus. Did you know that some people thought Jesus was like a resurrected or a new Jeremiah? In chapter 16 of Matthew, verses 13 and 14, when Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and by the way, if you go to Israel with me, we will go to this exact place and we'll read this passage at this spot. It says, now Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do the people say that the son of man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others uh, uh, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jeremiah was mentioned. Isn't that interesting that Jeremiah is mentioned there? Well, how is Jesus like Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah was tough on the religious leaders. <laughs> Jesus was tough on the religious leaders. You know, when he said, woe to you hypocrites. Jeremiah was also tender. And so was Jesus. When he says to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and was known to be a man of sorrows, according to Isaiah. So you can see where people kind of got confused. Maybe this is Jeremiah. But I think a better way to think about it, Jesus was not Jeremiah, but Jeremiah points us to Jesus. See, Jesus is the true and better Jeremiah. And this is something, as you read through the Old Testament, I encourage you to look for this pattern where Jesus is the true and better Moses, the true and better Jeremiah. Well, how is he the true and better? Well, remember the beginning of my presentation when I talked about the man? That Jeremiah was born in a small town outside of Jerusalem. Jesus was raised in a small town outside of Jerusalem. Jeremiah never married. Jesus never married. Jeremiah was carried off to Egypt. Of course, it was later in his life. Jesus was carried off to Egypt as a child. Jeremiah was known to be a weeping prophet, a man of sorrows. J Jesus was called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jeremiah was rejected by people in his hometown. So was Jesus. People conspired against him. The religious leaders, you know, conspired against him, wanted to kill him. S same with Jesus. Jeremiah was beaten and mocked and convicted in a show trial. So was Jesus. He was left for dead in the, in the ground in a cistern. And by the way, uh, an Ethiopian guy pulls him out of that cistern and saves his life. And there's a, a lot of people think Jeremiah only had two friends. One was his scribe, Baruch, who wrote most of this book down for us. And the other was this guy who rescued him out of the cistern. Those might have been his only two friends. Everybody else hated this guy because of his message. You know, he was put to death by his own people, according to tradition. So is Jesus. But Jeremiah didn't see the results of his suffering, but Jesus did. In Isaiah 53, verse 11, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, 
for he shall bear their iniquities. And then in Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love that phrase in there, for the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? It, it was us. It was us. But then when you read about us in Jeremiah, you realize how wickedly sinful we are. We, we don't even realize the depths of our own sinfulness. But God loved us so much. It was a joy for him to sacrifice. See, I don't think until you grasp the depth of your sinfulness and the height of God's glory or his holiness, I don't know that you can really understand the gospel. You don't see how good it's the best news ever. The gospel is the best news ever. So many people at church hear the gospel and they just kind of yawn. Yeah, yeah, I kind of deserve that. Do you really? Do you really deserve what God did for you? None of us do. So the father said through Jeremiah, obey me and you will live. But he said to his son, obey me and you will die so that they may live. And the amazing thing is Jesus did. He did obey the father. And that's the gospel. The best news ever. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.